This podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme and is brought to you with the support of BPI France. You're listening to the Fintech Podcast, the show that goes deep into the stories, the successes and failures that went into creating some of the world's most fantastic fintechs. I'm Elliot Gotkin, and in this episode, how struggling to get approved as a tenant on his return from the US prompted Freddie Kelly to found his own open banking credit reference agency, Credit Kudos. That's sort of a running joke is that like I didn't have a credit score, so I, I, I made a credit bureau. Um, yeah, I was moving to the UK and um, trying to rent a place in London, and uh, because I didn't have a credit history, because uh, I, you know, I basically moved out of the UK when I left university. Um, I was being asked to kind of give guarantees and to ask to pay, you know, multiples of my deposit up front or my, my rent up front, uh, and, and you know, do all this kind of weird hoop jumping where they, you know, my US bank was having to fax my bank statements to my landlord in the UK to prove that I was going to pay uh, rent on time. And, and yeah, weirdly enough, you know, those the three credit bureaus we have in the UK are the same three. Uh, that operate in the US and, and you know you'd think that there was some kind of interoperability there but there really isn't and so that kind of got me got me sort of thinking about the problem space and, and it's one of those things where you sort of lift the hood and you can't uh, you can't unthink it and you sort of realize that there's just such a, a void between what's possible with the technology we have and what's actually happening. Freddie Kelly founder and CEO of Credit Kudos thanks so much for joining me on the FNTech podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the conversation. Great. So uh, to sum up what Credit Kudos does, you're a kind of credit reference agency, like a, a fintech credit reference agency? Yeah, I think that that's that's a fair analysis. I mean, we, we're a few different things. So we're an open banking uh, provider. So we're one of the first authorized account information service providers back in early 2018 when that, that uh, regime came into play um, but we're also before that a, a credit reference agency um, and a lot of people don't quite know how those two things fit, fit together or, or what they mean but essentially we're interested in building better measurements of financial health and well-being for the purposes of, of lending decisions uh, by looking at the intersection of open banking data uh, and credit uh, outcomes so the sort of before and after of a credit decision, if you like. So how did uh, an individual uh, manage their money or what did their banking uh, relationships look like prior to a loan? And then did they pay that back on time? Using those two things together, we uh, we predict risk, essentially. So you're, you're looking at, you know, many, many more data points than, let's say, the credit reference agencies traditionally looked at, which was, I guess, was, you know, the amount of loans you had and the regularity of which you made uh, payments on them, which obviously wasn't great for people that never took out loans. Um, so you have all this extra data. But I mean, how does it actually work in practice? Can you, uh, for not necessarily the kind of deep in the weeds technical uh, understanding of what goes on, but but how does it work from the perspective of the customer and the perspective of your clients? Yeah, so a traditional credit uh checking kind of happens quite in the background it's quite opaque so when you apply for a, a product or service the lender in question is you mean they use a traditional credit bureau will 
take your your name address your date of birth uh, and they will use that to look up information uh, through an API in the background and use that information to determine uh, amongst other things whether you're, you're credit worthy uh, what we do because we're, we're using open banking is we basically say to the customer at the point of um, application hey we'd like to use open banking to gather more information about you in order to assess the risk of this uh, credit product whatever it may be you're applying for um, and assuming the customer is happy with doing that we can then use the open banking rails to get a, a snapshot of that individual's uh, history their, their transactional history and we run that through a series of algorithms that we've developed that uh, allow us to, to, to turn that into something that's predictive of risk. Okay and you work with banks, fintechs, merchants, basically anyone who's ever had to do a credit check? Yeah, so so credit uh, credit checking is is actually much uh, more than credit. Um, generally, you know, the, these checks pop up across the board. So whether it's you know uh, a, a tenant applica- a tenancy application or a mobile phone contract or uh, you know insurance or all sorts of things that they're and any kind of high trust situation in the same way that you know an identity check might be uh, used. Credit checking is often uh, another data point that's that's brought into that overall decision, and so that means that if you don't have a credit history or you uh, haven't kind of played the game, as it were, to kind of establish one, you can be massively penalised. Um, it also means that for many of the the companies that are providing these services, they they can really struggle to get an accurate depiction of, of an individual because. It's, it's such a broad strokes approach and, and more and more as the world moves towards, we sort of call it cash flow underwriting, but this idea that, you know, the best way to assess someone's finances to essentially look at uh, their, look at their finances and, and, and use use modeling to, to kind of analyze that. Um, the more we move towards that, the, the kind of more there's uh, a gap. If we don't use that data in our decision making, we're kind of ignoring one of the most crucial, if not the most crucial pieces of information about someone. And talk to me about the kind of traction you're getting as a business. Uh, what kind of growth have you been seeing? Was it turbocharged by the pandemic? Where are you as a as a company? Yeah, we, we're incredibly fortunate to, to kind of be at the right place at the right time with with this kind of approach to uh, gathering data and using it in, in credit decisioning. So uh, in terms of traction, we work with over 100 different uh, companies across traditional, uh, well, I guess you could call traditional sort of um, high street banks right through to fintechs um, and kind of everything in between. Um, we have seen a, a massive uh, growth uh, uh, curve increase in, in, in the last sort of 18 months. And, you know, that's definitely been, uh, you know, the, the pandemic has been a factor in that. I think also just uh, sort of behaviours in general towards credit, you know, the, the rise of buy now, pay later and people sort of um, making smaller purchases on credit more frequently and, and not using credit cards and revolving credit so much um, has also driven uh, driven towards this kind of cash flow underwriting that I talked about and, and, and in turn has kind of boosted our our numbers and our growth which is which is really exciting for us and what's the ambition here are you are you really planning on beating incumbents like Equifax market value of around 35 billion dollars and experience which I think is worth around 40 billion dollars last time I checked is that is that the the aim to, to kind of beat them or is it more likely that one of them might just kind of swallow you up one day with a bit of spare change? Uh, I, I mean, 
it's definitely i don't think it's it's zero sum um you know we're not trying to be a better experience we're trying to build for what the future of of lending looks like and that's much more continuous it's much more revolving real time uh and, and also the products themselves you know this idea that you kind of make a single snapshot judgment and that's it that that doesn't really make sense you know we're seeing you know, i think by now pay later is just one of many changes that we'll see in, in terms of how credit is delivered we've seen curve and monzo come up with these like flex products where you can kind of underwrite past purchases um all of that requires a different set of tools for for lending and and you know we're kind of thinking about the jobs to be done uh for a company and where they want to differentiate and where they want to invest their time versus where they want to you know outsource and, and have the best quality product and, and and we're trying to fill those gaps so yeah for sure i mean we have massive ambition to kind of get to that scale uh and, and do things very differently but it for me it's you know we, we measure ourselves by doing things that, that are new and different rather than sort of trying to build a better mousetrap okay and i read that you came up with the idea after you returned to the uk and um as far as the credit reference agencies were concerned um you weren't considered a safe bet for credit so i guess this is the ultimate revenge is that is that how things started yeah i mean that's that's sort of a running joke is that like I didn't have a credit score, so I, I, I made a credit bureau. Um, the, the the honest story, you know, it, it's something that happens to a lot of people, and I'm more fortunate than, than most, you know, that, like I, I kind of understand and, and have visibility of these things. But I, I was, yeah, I was moving to the UK and um, trying to rent a place in London, and uh, because I didn't have a credit history, because uh, I, you know, I, I basically moved out of the UK when I left university, um, I was being asked to kind of give guarantees i was asked to pay you know multiples of my deposit up front or my, my rent up front um and, and you know do all this kind of weird hoop jumping where they you know my u.s bank was having to fax my bank statements to my landlord in the uk to prove that i was going to pay uh, rent on time and, and yeah weirdly enough you know those the three credit bureaus we have in the uk are the same three uh, that operate in the us and and you know you'd think that there was some kind of interoperability there but there really isn't um and so that kind of got me got me sort of thinking about the problem space and and it's one of those things where you sort of lift the hood and you can't uh you can't unthink it and you sort of realize that there's just such a a void between what's possible with the technology we have and what's actually happening um and so our job is trying to kind of fill that gap and build the right tools to to kind of make adoption easier and your background, I think, is as a software engineer. So perhaps you had the technical chops to build this. But what made you think you could actually run a company, you know, be CEO of a company and run a company? Uh, you know, it's one thing to build things, I guess, by coding, but it's another to actually run a business that's scaling and is employing lots of people and is dealing with lots of different partners and regulations and all sorts of other things. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, naivety in a word, probably. Uh I, yes, I, I'd, I'd sort of been fortunate to work, uh, for a number of early stage companies when I lived in San Francisco. Um, and sort of seen, you know, everyone kind of looks to the, the West Coast as like this hotbed of entrepreneurship. And, um, when you sort of go there, you expect that there's something magical going on, but really it's just a bit more bravado and a bit more arrogance and a bit more willingness to fail that means that there's, there's a, a better ecosystem there or a bigger ecosystem. Um, and so I guess, you know, embracing the failure and, and, uh, just kind of realizing there's never a good time to do this. You know, lots of people get this idea that, you know, I'll just get like X years 
industry experience. I'll just do this course and I'll just, you know, read this book and then I'll be ready to start a company. And the truth is you're, kind of, you're never really ready. So um, you just got to do it. And, you know, I just, yeah, I didn't know what I, I know now. And, and I, you know, uh, yeah, pure naivety, I think. Um, and, and interesting enough, you know, often, you know, from the outside in it, to me as an engineer at the time, it looked like, the, the the solution was fairly clear you know you just need to build this thing and that's fine and the reality is like the the challenges in fintech are, are much less about the, the building of the things and more about the regulation and the inertia and the um you know the existing processes that exist in financial services and a lot of this sort of status quo of you know this is the way we've always done it so this is the way we're going to carry on and overcoming that uh, and i think what's really helped us there is that you know there is now you know especially post financial crisis there there are just there's just a massive amount of new companies um building things with a much more open attitude to how they they take on these processes and and sort of starting with a blank sheet of paper means that we can work from the kind of day zero with them to to build really cool stuff rather than trying to kind of retrofit to some legacy system i'm always amazed at how many founders that we have on the show here to say that naivety is kind of one of the biggest reasons why they actually started their fintechs in the first place because if they knew now what they knew then they probably would never have done it in the first place so maybe there's a lesson for other professions although uh, obviously being a doctor or things like that might might require a bit less naivety um but uh, you know were, were there any other startups before this did you have you said you worked in early stage startups uh, in san francisco beforehand but were there any that were your own baby that you'd kind of uh, set up and um you know enabled you to build up some of the skills you needed as an entrepreneur yeah i, I mean uh, so i i i yeah like i said i worked for, for two startups in sf and, and the second one was working in transactional data analytics so i I had definitely had a head start on open banking and understanding that. Um, but I, I guess before then, you know, I, I when I was at school, I, I started a business uh, when I was like 15 or 16, uh, uh, selling, um, basically providing uh, online gaming services for like uh, computer games and stuff like that before the cloud was a thing. Um, and I wouldn't say that I kind of learned to scale a company through that because it was just sort of me and a couple of friends. But um i certainly i guess overcame the you know the the worry or the the self-doubt of you know that not being a good thing to do it you know it was just uh, i kind of always wanted to build things love building software but love building companies too and and um you know i, I kind of embraced the uncertainty a bit more than i guess um it comes naturally to some because of that so what did that what what did that business do when you were 15, 16 in gaming software? Uh, so so um, this is this is going back a bit, but but when uh, uh, I haven't touched computer games for a while, sadly. But when when so we're in, in the era of like Call of Duty one and uh, Counter Strike one point six and and these kind of PC first person shooters, um, all of these uh, all of these online games were, were ran on like, hosted on on a server somewhere. Uh, and, and you know now you can just kind of like set one of those up uh, using AWS and it takes like five seconds. But um, before you could, you'd need to basically have a physical uh, computer that was rack mounted somewhere that you were paying for electricity and internet connectivity for, and, and you'd have to run the software on that. And that's obviously a bunch of work. And so the business that I built was basically we were building all these servers and, and hosting them ourselves, and then leasing uh access to them for for like gaming teams and things like that and then it it, it expanded into like dedicated 
dedicated servers and, and voice over IP and web hosting and all this kind of other stuff as well. Um, so yeah, I did that from, I think 15 to like 17 when I, I sold it when I was 17. Um, but it, yeah, you, you sold it. A, yeah. Yeah. When I, uh, when I was, what was the, I was, uh, what I was, was the exit price? <laughs> I can't remember it. Probably not a lot, um, in today's money and crazy valuations, but it was enough to, uh, yeah, buy me a car and, and pay for my university, I think, or, or, or there or thereabouts. So it wasn't, wasn't too bad. Um, but, uh, it was a good lesson. Like, you know, you could build something that was valuable, uh, and people wanted to pay for it. Um, I think that, uh, I, I was actually, ironically, I was sort of failing business studies at GCSE, I remember, because I wasn't that interested in, in school at the time, uh, although I don't think I ever was. Um, and, and I ended up having to, I was doing my A level, so I had to kind of focus on that and not, uh, not be trying to run this business anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I wouldn't say, you know, I could compare that to, to the the challenges we have today, but certainly in terms of that, like um, just giving it a shot and not caring if it doesn't work out. I think that was the most important thing to realize is like, you know, I think in any way, like, you know, most, most investors say when, you know, you've had a failure or you've had a something that's gone wrong, you're kind of more investable because you kind of know it's not that bad and you're going to take more risk and, and be okay with the, you know, the uncertainty, which is the main attributes you need to kind of be comfortable starting a business right and i guess at the same time your other positive must have been that uh, you had a good excuse for your parents when they told you off for playing computer games or something because it was all part of your all part of your business um now i read uh, that you're also a a part-time chef i think that's in your twitter bio is that just a hobby is that <laughs> do you kind of serve uh, all of the credit kudos people their, their lunch is all made by you as well or something uh no uh no well i might have to after you said that um I, I uh, there's there's been like a strong food culture in our company from the very beginning. Like some of our early team, uh, we, we uh, for anyone knows East London, we, our first office was was in Dalston, uh, and we were like right above this very uh, very nice bakery called the Dusty Apple, just as it was opening up. Uh, it's now become like super famous because Nigella Lawson went there and like posted about it and stuff. But it, it's just it was just a very cool place, and we sort of like a lot of our early team kind of bonded over our love of uh of of eating at this place but yeah i I, so when i lived in san francisco i i i went to uh i did like a part-time culinary school uh um, course for for like 16 weeks uh and and it's hard to to live unless you you do this you don't care about food it's hard to be in san francisco and not get kind of into the food scene because it's it's so big there um so yeah it's something i i really enjoy and i think it's quite um quite a good outlet um to to kind of come home and and cook something and um you know relax into to being at home so yeah i, I enjoy that um well, what's your speciality uh i like the simple stuff uh like a good carbonara uh or a good winter stew right now is probably probably wh- okay. where i'd go to but, uh, yeah so so if all else fails with credit kudos at least you've uh you won't go hungry. Um, but uh, look, Freddie, I'm uh, going to come back to your story in just a minute because I just need to remind our listeners that this podcast is part of the Paris FinTech Forum Communities Program for 2021. And in this special pandemic period, you can enjoy throughout the year top-level live sessions with key industry players, exclusive on-demand interviews such as this one, and use our innovative digital networking capabilities to meet your peers, develop your network, create new business opportunities, and to continue to build together the future of the fin and tech industry. And you can find out more at www.parisfintech.com 
www.creditkudos.com. Um, so, Freddie, look, we mentioned earlier that you came up with the idea for Credit Kudos after you returned to the UK from the US. Um, what were you doing there? I mean, you said you were working in a few uh, early stage startups uh, and the like. Um, and I suppose perhaps more importantly, why did you come back? Yeah, I um, so I, I graduated uh, in 2013. I studied computer science. Um, and at the time, uh, the, the kind of options for new grads were still pretty, um, I guess, bog standard, you know, like go to an investment bank uh, or go to, you know, this big corporate, uh, you know, maybe go to Amazon or something like that, which, which is slightly more interesting, arguably. Um, but like going to a startup was still, you know, not really a thing. And now it, it seems kind of silly to say that because everyone's doing it. But um, uh, at the time, it wasn't really an option. And I'd got uh, wind of this program that was basically flying uh, people that just graduated in, in CS or equivalent degrees to, to San Francisco to go and work for a year. Um, and it was sort of a bit of an arbitrage for those in early stage companies there because they could kind of employ someone that's pretty qualified, but fairly cheap because they've just graduated and uh, you know, they're kind of motivated by being in this cool, exciting place and all that other stuff. So I did that. I worked for a year, uh, actually two, two, almost two years, um, for a business called Bitnami, which was a cloud infrastructure provider. So, um, in the early days of, of AWS and Azure and all these kind of computing, uh, it's a platform as a service providers. Uh, we were kind of trying to build like an app store for individuals to um, or companies to deploy open source software easily in, in the cloud. And um, they were going through Y Combinator uh, just at the time I joined. And so I kind of got to see a really interesting scaling journey. I was kind of the first hire they made in the US and then they got to like 100 people uh, in, in that sort of time frame, and then eventually actually exited to VMware, um, which was which was a really cool journey. And then I, I went to this other um, early stage company uh, right after that, that was in in the fintech space, and that was kind of how I got introduced to fintech. And I actually got quite lucky because the the guy that or one of the co-founders of this business called TXM was a guy called Alex Rampel, who's now um, now known for being one of the, the main partners at Andreessen Horowitz that looks at fintech, and he. Had previously started started a company called TrialPay, which was uh, looking at kind of online rewards and, and card based offers. Um, so a lot of sort of open banking related stuff before open banking was a thing that everyone talked about. Okay, and so you, you've worked for the early stage companies, startups in San Francisco, uh, but you you came back because you just the the startup got sold, or you just had enough, or your visa ran out. Uh, I actually, I actually did something weird because I got uh, so there's there's this infamous visa lottery that everyone goes through to actually kind of stick around and, and sort of staying for a year is quite easy, but staying for longer is quite hard. And and I actually got lucky and got a, a visa, um, but I only kind of stayed a, another year or so. Um, and I think I think you know it's a com- combinations of personal circumstances. I was missing my family, um, but also just sort of feeling like you know I, I was. Um, I was working for other people that started companies that were kind of no more in the know or qualified than I was. And, you know, going back to that point, it was like, you know, no time like the present, like, you know, if I want to do this, then, you know, I don't think there's anything I'm going to learn here that's going to make me any better or worse than doing it. I'm going to have to kind of take my own journey. Um, so, and, so you've and, come and back. I guess, I guess, I guess 
the reason for moving was just it's it was hard to do that in the US given visa rules and stuff like that um, than it is in the UK. Right. So you've done your stint in the US. You've come back to the UK. You've got this idea for Credit Kudos. Uh, how hard? How easy was it to get it going? What were the biggest challenges that you faced? Was it building a team, finding a co-founder, raising money, getting anyone to think, hey, yeah, what a great idea. Let's take on two $35 billion companies and and uh, beat them at their own game with uh, newfangled ways of doing things. Yeah, I mean, all of the above. Like it was like I, so I joined Entrepreneur First um, when I came back, which is like a, uh, a kind of incubator accelerator. I think they hate both of those terms but it's the easiest way to kind of categorize them but they they um bring together founders and, and sort of capital and, and help them kind of incubate ideas um i i think the the hardest thing is is like just carrying on like i i realized that you know for the first three years we didn't really go anywhere quickly like the the biggest thing was sort of perseverance like you you kind of you know your your journey is always like a it's not like a kind of uh uh you know bottom left to top right linear progression it's it's like a flat line and then suddenly it goes up and it's really hard to know in the flat line if you're ever going to get to the bit where it goes up um and i think to be honest you just sort of have to like wait it out in many cases and so i think we did a good job of sticking sticking in there when you know we started so we, you know i founded the business i incorporated the business in, in 2015 right so uh quite a way before open banking even really existed um and you know hindsight's a wonderful thing i'd probably waited if i did it again but um we 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 kind of had to wait out and, and educate the market we, we we were lucky enough to work with some um big players early on people like capital one who kind of took a punt on what we were doing and, and did uh did some work with us that, that really helped accelerate and prove the or validate what the, the the idea of what we built and that allowed us to get a bit more traction and um, you know, gain more investment, hire more people, all the rest of it. But, you know, in the first sort of few rounds of funding and the first months and years, like it was very much, you know, getting people to believe uh, the dream uh, and, and being able to sell people on that than, than it was, you know, here's loads of evidence that we actually could achieve it. Right. And as I think our, our first guest on the FNTech podcast, uh, Daniel Schreiber, the uh, CEO and co-founder of Lemonade, was saying, you know, storytelling is 90% of a uh, of a founder's job. So I guess in those early days, before you've got the traction, it's really a case of getting people to believe in you, to trust in you, and to have faith that you're going to deliver on what you say you're going to deliver on. Um, now, speaking of other founders, I see Lend Invest chairman and co-founder uh, Christian Faze is among your investors. He's a friend of the show and mine. Um, in practical terms, how useful is it having successful fintech entrepreneurs uh, on your team to kind of give you the benefit of, of their wisdom? Yeah, very. I, I actually was at dinner with Christian last night. I, I, um, I think that it's the best kind of investment uh, I, I, you know, one is, is kind of empathy. Like, you know, the, the thing that a lot of people don't say, especially in this like relentless cycle of, you know, fundraising and everything else is that it's just really difficult and like, it doesn't always go well. And, um, you know, it takes, uh, really for me, it takes another founder that's been in that same position to talk to, to, to get comfort in that, you know, like speaking to other people, they're always going to be kind of outside in saying, Oh, you know, like it must be really hard, but you know, they don't really know like what it what it, what it's like being in the chair, um, and so I, I think having those people around you is incredibly valuable. But also, um, you know, as as uh, I guess as a, a network, you know, 
anyone can kind of like introduce you to anyone. I don't think this kind of idea that like we have a big network is particularly helpful, but what is helpful is um, uh, someone who understands the problems of the types of companies you're trying to sell to and can sort of validate or not what you're doing and, and talk to you about that. Um, and, and, you know, you can just understand immediately what you're trying to achieve and, and um, you know, help you along the journey and, and be personally like invested. You know, I think that the irony of angel investing is that you're sort of paying, uh, paying to give your advice to people. Um, but it, it really does, um, it really does go a long, long way. And, and these people generally, um, you know, that they've been in the same places you have before and, and therefore can kind of give the most helpful advice. Right. Um, wonderful. Well, uh, look, I've just got one more question for you, Freddie, which is the same final question I put to everyone who joins me on the FN Tech podcast. And, and the question is this, what is the weirdest or craziest thing you've ever built or done in your life? Oh, wow. <laughs> um Weirdest or craziest thing I've ever built or done. Uh, I have, I've built some pretty, like as a kid, I, I used to connect everything together with sellotape, which to my mind was building things, but my parents was just uh, creating a mess. Um, I, I, I have to admit, I got into 3D printing uh, over over the lockdown. So I got quite into building various gadgets and gizmos around the house. I, my, my most, uh, as a most proud creation is, uh, uh, like a automated cat feeder uh so i have a, a a cat feeder that's uh controlled by a raspberry pi that that feeds the cat uh based on on like a calendar invite that that i set for the cat when it wants to eat um which is quite handy uh and that was kind of like an, a maximum nerd out i sort of like built all the thing out you know 3d design printed it and built all the wiring and everything so that I, I'm, I'm quite proud of that uh even though it's sort of pointless maybe you know maybe there's a business in there well i was going to say it sounds to me like you've got a potential spin-off there from uh (laughs) credit kudos is uh i mean i don't know if i don't know much about cats and automatic feeders but that sounds to me like you could do away with cat sitters and just leave that in the house and uh, off you go yeah no definitely it's it's it it needs some improvement i think v2 would be good but uh yeah that's a good one the other one i I guess the, the, the more fintech related in food related going back to your previous question was there um i'm sure they don't mind me saying this now but when when we were when we were kind of not really funded at all and and trying to kind of get a foothold um in in sort of the marketplace and get, you know get our, our name out there and, and and whatnot we were uh sadly not paris fintech forum but we were trying to get into money 2020 uh and um they uh, you know the tickets are for, for someone who doesn't have any money are, are kind of pretty uh un- unobtainable um, and so uh, I baked a chocolate cake and posted it to the uh, the director of that event and said, well, sent it with a handwritten note that said, yeah, please, please, can we come to your event? We can't actually afford it, but I think we'd be, we'd be great participants and, and uh, got, a, got us into that event. And then uh, we met our first uh, VC funders at, at that same event and, and they backed us. Uh, wow. Like a few months later. The power, so. the power of chocolate. The power of chocolate cake. Yeah, exactly um so that's uh, that's quite a proud moment as well (laughs) that sounds uh very um you know very uh innovative in in terms of your uh of your getting yourself in there with with a chocolate cake does that work on all investors or was was it was it just on i've not tried it since i mean i think um i think it's worth a shot uh definitely but you know fortunately we've got more to talk about than the chocolate cake now so it's slightly easier 
I can just see now all the fintech founders that listen to this podcast, next VC meeting that's in person, they're going to go in there with bait goods of some description. And uh, this could be a whole new thing. But uh, yeah. look, uh, Freddie, uh, thank you so much for sharing those stories and for sharing your entrepreneurial journey uh, with me um, for today. Uh, but we are out of time. So I just want to thank you, Freddie Kelly, founder and CEO of Credit Kudos, uh, for joining me on the Fintech podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Fintech founding myths are often steeped in serendipitous meetings, chance encounters and plain old luck. Sometimes, though, you need to get your hands dirty, even if, as in Freddie's case, that meant doing so literally and blagging his way into an event with a chocolate cake that he'd baked. So thank you, Freddie Kelly, for that delicious story. And thank you for listening to the Fintech podcast with me, Elliot Gotkin, now part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can get updates and listen to all previous episodes via the website, www.parisfintechforum.com. If you have any comments, suggestions or feedback, you can find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Paris Fin Forum or at Elliot Gotkin. That's it from me. Thanks again to BPI France for sponsoring this podcast. We'll be back again next year for more of the best F in tech. Hope you'll join us again then. Bye-bye.